Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Could you live on a grocery budget of $47 a week? The president of the OSSTF is waiting for the province's first volley. We speak to a Burlington woman who's written a new book for moms. There's a warning about a looming dementia crisis, another call to scrap the traditional 9-to-5 workday, and find out why actor Brendan Fraser was brought to tears. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. We need it. In some cases, we crave it. In many cases, we absolutely need it to get by. And that is certainly the case for those who rely on social assistance, whether it's ODSP, Ontario Works. There is much debate and has been much debate over the last number of months about what these rates should look like. How high or how low should they be? We heard from the provincial legislature, the Premier of Ontario, Doug Ford. We'll always be there for the most vulnerable, always have been. The previous government government ignored ODSP, Mr. Speaker, for 15 years. One of the first things we did when we took office, we increased ODSP, Mr. Speaker. And And now, Mr. Speaker, we're doing it again. We're increasing it by 5%. This is the largest increase in over a decade. Uh, good morning, Hamilton on 900 CHML. Yeah, let's dive into this uh, ODSP, Ontario Disability Support Program. And, uh, well, Ontario works as well, because that is certainly a factor. So as you heard from the Premier, ODSP rates have increased by 5%. That's an extra $58 a month for those who uh, rely on that program to $1,227 per month. Ontario Works recipients get $733 a month, and that figure hasn't changed in four years. Why are we talking about this? Well, if you've been paying attention to the news over the last, uh, well, few hours and even yesterday afternoon, there is a group of NDP MPPs that are going on a so-called social assistance diet for the next two weeks. And this is all to highlight, obviously, the struggles that people face by uh, relying on social assistance, whether it's ODSP or Ontario Works. One of those NDP MPPs is uh, right here in Hamilton, Monique Taylor, the NDP MPP for Hamilton Mountain, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Monique, good morning. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Not too bad. So I do want to give you and and the four others kudos for taking on this challenge, because I'd imagine it's not going to be easy. I uh, know absolutely not. Um, going into the grocery store uh, the other day uh, was very daunting. Um, and I walked to the grocery store and, and back again with my groceries uh, just to try to do the right thing, right? Because uh, we know that uh, many folks on social services uh, don't have access to a vehicle and, you know, or they have to take the bus, which is absolutely actually more money out of their grocery budget. Um, and looking at the price of food on the shelves, I mean, I'm a very privileged person, right? Um, I So I go to the grocery store, I pick up my stuff, and, and I get out. This time I, I really had to pay attention to, to what I was looking at on the shelves. I pretty much walked right, back, right past all the, the fresh produce. Um, you know, I have a bag of onions, and I grabbed a cucumber that was 88 cents. Uh, but other than that, the, the fresh produce is pretty much out of reach uh, for someone on a social uh, service um, budget. Um, and just looking for those, those um, you know, the specials, the, the cheapest bread on the shelf. There was one loaf left. The whole entire shelf was empty. Mm-hmm. I had the same experience with the margin. The, the margin that was on sale was completely all gone, and I ended up with 
another margin that uh, well, I'm not so sure what it's going to be like. <laughs> I mean, these are these are these are real things that people are facing each and every day. And I think this is obviously going to be a worthwhile um, uh, exercise for you and obviously the others that are involved. And it shines, you know, a big spotlight on an important project. But it's also, I think, at the end of this two-week experience, it's going to be somewhat sobering because you go back to your normal life, whereas people who are on ODSB can't. Will not. Will not, and uh, and that's that's the thing, right? I mean, I I called on uh, the the premier and the minister yesterday uh, to uh, to join us, right? Um, and to to just go to, just go to the grocery store. Just if you do nothing else, go to the grocery store with that forty seven dollar budget to get you through one week. Just see what that's like alone, you know. Um, but, but just you know, they they spout off their five percent greatest increase in in years, and um, and and it's just horrific um, to to see what how callous a government can be towards people who are our most vulnerable residents. I mean, they you know they there's zero increase happening for people on Ontario Works. Uh, they're frozen at seven hundred and thirty-three dollars. There's lots of reasons why people are on Ontario Works. It isn't always necessarily that they just don't want to work. You know, um, there's so many people on Ontario Works that are waiting to go on the disability support program. Uh, there, and and then once you actually get to the disability support program, you're you're actually legislative poverty uh, because you have a disability in this province. You are you are in poverty for the rest of your life. That's not okay. Uh, you know, people shouldn't have to rely and know that they're going to have to visit our food banks uh, because they just won't be able to make it make it stretch. Uh, Monique, we, we have one more minute here. I, I want to ask you this. The ODSP sure. Action Coalition yesterday mm-hmm. said that these rates should be doubled. Is that sure. doable? Can we afford that? Absolutely, we can afford that. Uh, you know, there's it, it's priorities, right? Um, and when when it comes to our most vulnerable people, uh, you know, we can we can make it. There there's lots of things that the government spends money on uh, that uh, that people could be prioritized over. Uh, so it's definitely doable. They left seven hundred and thirty five million dollars on the table last year, um, and and people are living in tents. Right. Uh, so, uh, so, so, where's the priority uh, when it comes to our most vulnerable populations? You know, making sure that you're there to support them and that they have food at the end of the day. It shouldn't be that much to ask for. We'll certainly have to get you back on the program after this two-week time frame to uh, dissect how it went for you and some of the challenges uh, that you had to face over these two weeks. Monique, really appreciate the time. Good luck with this. Thank you so much, and honestly, I really appreciate your effort. Thanks so much. That's uh, Monique Taylor, NDP MPP for Hamilton Mountain, as she embarks and uh, four other NDP MPPs on a two-week social assistance diet. It's going to be, I I would assume, a a big eye-opener for them, but reality for all those who do rely on social assistance. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I joined the men from Mississauga Centre this morning at a brand new school built and funded by our Premier in Mississauga. And to see these kids smile again, to see them share with their educators, get a hug from their teacher, high five their friends, it was everything. It's what we're here to do in education, to inspire these kids to believe again 
in a publicly funded education and to actually be kids with their friends. Speaker, this school year is going to be more normal, it's going to be more stable, and it's going to be much more enjoyable. That is the voice of Education Minister Stephen Lecce speaking in the provincial legislature yesterday on day one of Back to School. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. He mentioned that this is going to be uh, the most stable year ever, and, and maybe from a COVID perspective, we're hoping that. But from a labor perspective, is that going to be the case? Is there going to be continued stability as students and teachers are back in the class? Well, one of the individuals that will be involved in that uh, decision-making going forward is the president of the OSSTF, the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, and she is Karen Littlewood. Karen, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. Happy Wednesday. Yeah, happy hump day. Your reaction to (laughs) Minister Lecce's comments. We'll start there. Well, you know, it's funny because I often agree with uh, what he's saying. I agree with the intent. I agree that we need a stable, normal, enjoyable school year. I agree with all of that. But then he always seems to go that next step. And there's something in the undertone, but I'm I'm not really sure what he's suggesting when what we have right now is stability. OSSTF members, teachers, education workers, all people working in education have been at work. They're going to continue to be at work. We're providing that stable environment for students and we will continue to do so. So, you know, I think there's some kind of undertone of something else that's going on, but we don't we don't really understand what provoked that um negotiations are uh, going to be well they're they're underway with certain unions and i understand that you're going to be meeting next week or at least next week is going to be the start of the negotiation process for your union is that correct it's actually the start of the second phase of the negotiation okay. process. So we've already met with the ministry, I believe, on five or six occasions. And because we also represent education workers, we have two separate tables. We bargain separately for each. So, you know, it might sound like we're getting a lot of bargaining days, but it's because we've got two tables. So we have done the preliminary steps, very preliminary, where we've decided and agreed to what is going to be bargained at the provincial level and what will be at the local level next week. We'll be looking at proposals. So this is where you actually get into the issues and your bargaining. So we have been at the table. I believe between now and the end of October, we have about a dozen dates. So I look forward to progressing at the table, um, fair negotiations, just, you know, being able to, to come to an agreement at the table, not hear something at a press conference, not have legislation imposed, such as Bill 124, where wages have been restricted for three years to 1%. I'm sure you don't want to bargain in the media. That's uh, usually a no-no. But are are there main uh, potential sticking points that you can foresee? I I don't even know what we could say would be a sticking point right now when we don't know what their proposal is. We know what our members need. We know that we have a supply and demand issue in education. We know that we are running into a crisis where we it looks like there will be a shortage. I spoke to a number of bargaining unit presidents before Labor Day and said, how's your staffing? And they said, we don't have everyone we need. So we've got to be addressing that. Sticking points will depend on what the government says. The government may come and say, you know, yes, education is an investment and, and you know, we're, we're not going to give a 20% raise. Obviously, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the working conditions and improving the education for the students. Karen Littlewood is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Karen is the president of the OSSTF as they uh, launch into the next phase of uh, negotiations with the provincial government. The uh, likelihood of a late 
labor disruption at school this year? What what percentage would you give it that? Very low, around 50%, a little bit higher? I can't give it a percentage at all. Right now, we're at the table, we're bargaining, things go smoothly. The, the minister keeps saying that he wants a voluntary deal. So do I. I you know, we're, we're coming at this, I think, from the same um, desires to have students in the class, to be stable. I, I can't guarantee not knowing what the government proposal is going to be. He already had set the table a couple of weeks ago, even before school had started, saying that, uh, listen, we, we, no matter what the political stripe or what, uh, uh, you know, party is in power at the provincial legislature, um, teachers unions seem to always kind of push the needle a little bit further than where it has to go. Your response to that stands from the province. <laughs> yeah, I've heard him say that on a number of occasions, and I've been teaching since 1991, and I would have to disagree with that. We have not always opposed whichever government is in power. In fact, we've worked quite well with some. We haven't had a lot of success with conservative governments, but that doesn't mean that 2022 can't be a different year and we can't be working together. I think it depends on the respect. Um, I, I, you know, workers right now are feeling that they did as much as they possibly could throughout the pandemic to make sure the students got what they needed. They are going to continue to do that. But when you have legislation that restricts a woman majority job class to 1%, when, you know, the people building the schools are getting significant increases, the people working in the schools are not. <laughs> it makes it really challenging. But there's still time for the government to, to make some good decisions. Well, I wish you guys uh, nothing but the best, and hopefully we can find a win-win-win for all parties involved. Karen? Appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank, thanks so much, Rick. I'll talk to you soon. Karen Littlewood is the president of the Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I recall, and I will never forget, uh, cutting the umbilical cord for my daughter when she was born. And that was a momentous occasion. I actually shed a tear as she was grasping onto my pinky fingers. It's an experience that I'll never forget. And certainly for my wife... It's an experience she will never forget because she did all the work, really. And and this occurrence happens over and over and over again where moms and dads or, or single parents, single moms, uh, have a child. And, you know, it's glorious. It's not all lollipops, rainbows, sunshine and, uh, you know, celebrations. There are some difficulties along the way, that is for sure, including postpartum depression, uh, trouble with pregnancy. That is uh, certainly a common occurrence. All of that is wrapped into one in a new book called Welcome to the Jungle, A Frantic Journey of Motherhood and Self-Discovery. And it's written by a mom from Burlington who's written this to show, well, moms, you're, you're not alone in this in this journey. Annalise Lawton is her name, and she joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Annalise, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm fantastic. Um, why write a book about this? Good question. Um, <laughs> I, I was looking for, you know, my three kids weren't keeping me busy enough. I needed something <laughs> else to do. Um, no, so I wrote, I have a blog that I just, I write stuff on for fun. And I wrote a post about the comparison of, I had a tumor wrapped around my facial nerves um, a few years ago. And I wrote about the comparison and aftercare uh, compared to my C-section and my tumor surgery. And how, you know, you have a C-section and this baby's taken out of you. And I was, this was my second child. I had experienced postpartum depression before. And you're kind of just sent on your way to, to raise this little human. And 
with this giant abdominal surgery. And then with my other surgery, I had a post-op care nurse and my surgeon was constantly checking on me and I was confused about why there was such a big difference there. Hmm. So I wrote a post about it and um, it went viral. It was seen six million times. It was translated into seven different languages. And um, I figured there was something I was touching on that people hadn't necessarily spoke about before. So I wrote a book about it. That's pretty wild, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure after each surgery, you're thinking, okay, there's, there's a huge difference here. Why is that? Have you ever gotten the answer to it? No, I haven't. Um, I, I actually, um, my husband's, um, one of my husband's closest friends works in the ER in the states. He's an ER doctor, and my post circulated through there, and apparently, all the doctors there were even nodding in unison, saying that there is this this gap in the healthcare system when it comes to maternal health and maternal mental health. But now it's going to take people to fight for those changes. And I hope to be one of those people. In a perfect world, what do you think that should look like that post operation, that post childbirth care or follow up kind of system? Midwifery care is a great example. Doulas are a great example, but doulas and midwives are a privilege when you have a high risk pregnancy. Um, so I had two high risk pregnancies. So I had to use an OBGYN where midwives, um, they literally give you their phone number, you can be texting them, they come and check in on you for I think six weeks after the baby is born, they come to your home and check in on you. I didn't get that privilege because I had a high risk pregnancy. So it would be amazing if all moms could receive that type of care after they have their children. Absolutely. Annalise Lawton is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Annalise is the author of a new book called Welcome to the Jungle, A Frantic Journey of Motherhood and Self-Discovery. And the book is going to be launched uh, from what I hear October 26th at the Art Gallery of Burlington, which is going to be exciting. What's What's your hope for people who dive into this book, what their takeaway is going to be? I hope they laugh. <laughs> I <laughs> hope they find, because uh, it's it talks about heavy stuff, but I try to write it with a funny approach. So I hope people laugh. Um, I also hope that people find a friend in it. I think sometimes moms feel, not sometimes, a lot of the time moms feel very alone and they don't feel like they have anyone that they can relate to about the ups and downs of motherhood. But so many of us go through the same things. Um, so I think in this book, I think they'll have an awakening because part of the thing I talk about is how as women, we've been told our entire lives that motherhood is going to be the one sole thing in life that fulfills us. And then when it doesn't, we are so hard on ourselves and it triggers all of our insecurities that we've gained over the course of our lives as girls because girls are you know, there are so many things that we face in media and with our peers that break us down. And then we get to motherhood as this piece of Swiss cheese and motherhood shines its light through all of those insecurities. And motherhood is hard to begin with. But after carrying those traumas with us through life into motherhood, I think that just magnifies everything. So I hope that it's a bit of a, an awakening for moms and women that they're doing the best job that they can and that it's not motherhood that is taking their identity it is 
other things that they have gone through in life. And it's time time to address those traumas and just really start living life as your authentic self. We have 90 more seconds with Annalise Lawton, the author of a new book called Welcome to the Jungle, A Frantic Journey of Motherhood and Self-Discovery. You can also check out Annalise on uh, Instagram, Annie Lawton underscore. You have three children. You're, you're I would say, as close to an expert as possible. <laughs> what, what tips would you have for someone who's expecting right now? Oh, wow. Expect. I hate to give tips because people hate, <laughs> pregnant women hate unsolicited advice. Um, <laughs> but I will say, you know, expecting the unexpected is kind of going in with an open mind and just trying to embrace whatever happens and leaning on your family and support and talking about what you're going through. That can really help in navigating the early days of motherhood. And if you are feeling like you're struggling with postpartum depression, there is no shame in that. I regret not getting help sooner. It took me two babies to finally reach out for help. So if you're feeling that way, there's awesome programs at St. Joe's Hospital in Hamilton that are there to help and nobody will judge you for it. That's awesome. Sounds like you're in a much better place. And anyone who picks up the new book, Welcome to the Jungle, A Frantic Journey of Motherhood and Self-Discovery, will get to a much better place as well. Annalise, really appreciate the time today. Best of luck with this book. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's Annalise Lawton, and the book launch is scheduled for October 26th at the Art Gallery of Burlington. Sounds like a pretty interesting read. Coming up in seven minutes in Entertainment with Shona, some controversy regarding a new show on Amazon Prime. We'll tell you about that coming up. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is a sobering new report out from the Alzheimer's Society of Canada. It's called the Landmark study and it is the first of three volumes of um, identifying this disease and the impact of it and basically the people behind this report is saying that there is a dementia crisis that is looming in this country and it's predicting that more than a million Canadians will be living with dementia by 2030 unless some action is taken right now By 2030, 21 people will be diagnosed with dementia every hour. And by 2050, the landmark study predicts that 1.7 million Canadians will be living with dementia. This is obviously going to have a massive impact on our healthcare system, which is, at last check, already struggling. Bob Neufeld is the acting manager of communications with the Alzheimer's Society of Canada and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Bob, welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. Thank you for having me. These numbers are quite upsetting, uh, knowing that something can be done. Well, maybe that, but that is the question. What can be done right now and what should be done? Right now, we need governments at all levels and individuals to start becoming more aware of this problem and, as you said, its potential implications for the healthcare system. For governments, that means funding more research into dementia, providing support for the people who care for people with dementia, because as you pointed out, the numbers are growing, and all of these people will need someone to take care of them and look after them. So that will have a staggering impact on the careers and work-life balances of many, many people. At the individual level, There are things you can do as an individual to reduce the risk of becoming a person living with dementia. And these are relatively simple things like eating right, staying healthy, controlling your blood pressure, controlling your cholesterol, 
reducing your intake of alcohol and cigarettes and other tobacco products. These are all things that are relatively easy for people to do that has the potential to reduce their risk of becoming a person living with dementia. What does the funding picture right now look like for research into dementia? In Canada, we are underfunding research into dementia. The federal government has, of course, implemented a national dementia strategy. That is a wonderful step. It is a wonderful thing that we are doing in that area. But we still spend less per capita than other countries, such as the United Kingdom, France, and even the United States. So what we need to do is increase the amount of funding and resources to help us find the cause of dementia, but also look at ways to alter the quality of life for people living with dementia. There's a lot of interesting research being conducted right now that will help people with dementia live longer, more fulfilling lives, and we need to spend more on that as well. Is any of that done or being done in this country? Have we adopted some of those practices that are working elsewhere? The Alzheimer's Society of Canada has what we call the Alzheimer's Society Research Program. Over the past several years, we've devoted more than $65 million in grants and research money uh, to support what we call out-of-the-box and innovative thinking with dementia. This includes using music as a dementia treatment to help people reconnect with their past. It also involves uh, work on improving short-term memory. So some of that work is being done, but it needs to be funded at a much larger scale. Bob Newfeld is the Acting Manager of Communications with the Alzheimer's Society of Canada and our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, this report indicates that women will continue to outnumber men diagnosed with dementia. Do we, do we know why this is happening? There's a number of theories, but the most common one simply is that women tend to live longer than men. And as uh, people increase past the age of 85, their likelihood of becoming a person living with dementia does increase. And I think it's important to remember that some people may think, oh, well, you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, these types of things are just a natural product of aging. They're not. Uh, it's normal when you get older to forget things, to become a little confused at times. But it's not normal to completely lose your cognitive functions. And that's what Alzheimer's and dementia does. And this is also a disease that impacts an entire family, not just the individual who has it. Exactly. Um, right now, what we call informal caregivers, these are family, friends, uh, you know, other people in your community who provide help to people living with dementia. Right now, they provide about 26 hours a week of care for looking after a person living with dementia. That spells out to over 235,000 full-time jobs. That's the equivalent. By the end of the decade, as you say, when we reach uh, 1 million people living with dementia in Canada, that number could be in excess of 500,000 full-time jobs. People often have to put their careers on hold. They have to spend time away from their families to look after someone with dementia. So it's important that their contributions be recognized as well. Bob, we have 30 seconds. Volumes 2 and 3 of this landmark study are going to be released. Do we have dates on that? We are looking at early 2023 for the second volume and then the spring of 2024 for the third and final volume. Certainly a big eye-opener, and hopefully it gets uh, governments and others um, a, a heightened awareness to contribute more and, and, and divert more funding to this cause. Bob, really appreciate your time today. Thank you.
for having me, Rick. Bob Newfeld is the acting manager of communications with the Alzheimer Society of Hamilton. You can get more information online about this study at alzheimer.ca. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. As we know, the COVID-19 pandemic has changed the way we go to work or work at or from home. Um, And it has proven, at least to me and I think many others, that the standard nine to five workday at work should no longer be the standard for employers to use. I mean, with technology, there's so many options now. And it's also the focus of an article that I really enjoyed in uh, Forbes. The headline, working nine to five is an antiquated relic from the past and should be stopped right now. And I wholeheartedly agree. The writer of that article is a senior contributor at Forbes and the CEO of WeCruiter.io and the Compliance Search Group. He's also the host of the Happy and Succeeding in the Future of Work podcast. His name is Jack Kelly, and he joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jack, good morning. How are you? Hey, good morning, Rick. I love the Ramones introduction. That's so, that was so on topic. <laughs> I, read this ar- I read this article and I said, amen. Now, <laughs> uh, how do we do this? It's starting. You know, it's starting. And you, you put it so great in that uh, coming out of the pandemic, we realized, what have we been doing? This is ridiculous. You know, someone like myself commuting in an hour and a half to New York City, an hour and a half back. What a waste. We've learned, you know, life is so short and precious. It's, it's just nuts to be, to commute, to be in this office building with the fluorescent lights and, and just, just playing the game just to commute home again and be exhausted and do it is a better way and it shows that there are better ways look at remote work during two years of a pandemic we were doing remote work and everything was great you know everything a great meaning that the economy was humming the stock market was doing really well so it shows a success now the next step is let's see what else we can do to make the workers lives better and to doing away with the nine to five maybe offering a four-day work week or becoming a digital nomad having flexibility, meaning coming into the office when and where or if you want to. And I think that's going to make employees and workers happier, more motivated, have more of incentive. And in, in, in a time where you have a great resignation and quiet quitting, it's going to empower workers and they're going to do better at their jobs because they're going to feel more freedom and autonomy. The five-day, 40-hour work week, which has been around since really the the 20s, um, has served its purpose, and it was there for a reason. But now that we have technology especially, that has changed the game, and it allows us to work from home, as we have clearly realized over the last couple of years. And not only that, become more productive because we're doing work uh, in more hours of the day. Exactly. And that's kind of the weird irony, Rick, is that... We're working more, whether during the day or weekends, because you're home. You're like, all right, do I watch another, you know, Netflix series, or should <laughs> I just do this extra work? And you balance it. You know what? Might as well just do this work. What the hell? We do something productive. And so, without being forced to, we end up doing that. So, you know, the management, C-suite people should get the well. Well, all right. Given left to their own devices, people are going to do what they need to do to succeed in their career and their job, and let them, let, you know, give them the ball and let them run with it.
One of the interesting parts of your article, again, you can find it uh, on Forbes, and it's called Working 9 to 5 is an antiquated relic from the past and should be stopped right now. The interesting part of it, or at least one of it, is that those companies that stick with the 9 to 5-er, they're going to lose their best employees because they're going to realize, hey, Company X over here is doing it way differently, and I want to I go there. Rick, I think this is how it's going to play out moving forward. You're going to have these companies that are just going to be very rigid and old school. Have to come in nine to five. Everybody has to come into the office five days a week, and that's it. But then you could have other companies that can say, wait a minute. This is going to be a better way to attract, recruit, retain employees. Let's let's find out what makes them happy, whether it's a four-day work week. Maybe instead of nine to five, let's say you have young children, you stagger the hours. So this way, you don't come on. How many times, Rick, have you seen people like so harried, particularly working mothers, because they have to drop their kid off at school and get to the office and they're stressed and they they have to pick up their kid again? That's ridiculous. Change those things. And what will happen, the companies who offer these different types of work styles are going to attract the best and the brightest. And then they're going to be appreciative. That they say, hey, I don't have to come in at nine. Maybe I could come in at 10. And now I don't have to be so stressed about getting my kid to school and getting to the office. And they're going to be happy and motivated. So I think you're going to see this big division of what's going to happen. And, and my bet is that the companies that, that treat employees like adults and empower them and give them autonomy, they're going to be the winners. And the ones that are going to be just really strict, get in the office five days a week. Where are you? You know? <laughs> Why are you late? What's wrong? They're going to be the ones that are going to be left behind. Absolutely. It's a fascinating article. Jack, really appreciate your time today, and uh, we'll touch base uh, sometime down the road. Thank you so much, Rick. It was a pleasure speaking to you. That's Jack Kelly, Senior Contributor at Forbes, the CEO of WeCruiter.io and the Compliance Search Group, and also the host of the Happy and Succeeding in the Future of Work podcast. And for years, I mean, for decades, really, we were pigeonholed. Employees were in this five-day, eight-hour-a-day, 40-hour-a-week, if you were lucky, work week in which you may not have been as productive at 9 o'clock as you were maybe at noon or 3 or, or vice versa. Maybe you know at the later parts of the day you're thinking, you know, you're looking at your watch thinking, oh, this, this day can't end soon enough with this modified, uh, morphed workspace from work or at home. I, I think employees, more employees, are able to capitalize on when they are at their peak performance. Not everyone is a morning person. Not everyone is fully functional at 3 or 4 in the afternoon. I think uh, employers need to take advantage of it, and those that do will be much more successful than those that don't. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is at the Venice Film Festival. Listen in. Thank you for the warm reception. I'm looking forward to how this film makes a deep impression on everyone as much as it has on me. So that is the voice of actor Brendan Fraser, who received a six-minute-long standing ovation at the festival for um, his part, his role in the new movie called The Whale. So what is all the fuss about? Let's ask our next guest. She's a reporter with ET Canada. Morgan Hoffman joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Morgan, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. This was quite the ovation. Um, why? I guess people are wondering, you know, why Why the big fuss? What's going on? Well, 
You know, the performance alone, people are, are raving about. I mean, this is a Darren Aronofsky film, which is so fantastic. Um, and, you know, there's always so many interesting characters and storylines when it comes to a Darren Aronofsky film. If you think of his past films, Black Swan, Mother, The Wrestler, The Fountain. This director knows how to pull out fantastic performances from people. But the bigger issue here with Brendan Fraser is that he's back. He has been gone from Hollywood for quite some time. So the fact that he's back in you know, this film at the Venice Film Festival, The Whale, he's completely transformed his look. He's playing a character who's 600 pounds. Uh, he plays a reclusive English teacher who's trying to reconnect with his daughter in the film. Uh, people are just blown away by this performance. But it, it feels like the bigger story, too, is that this is a guy who, if you're a millennial like me, you grew up watching these films. He was like a hero. To, to all of us, and then he disappeared. So this is, you know, they call it the renaissance, and, and I think this is why, you know, we're all feeling so emotional for him. We're just so happy he's back. Yeah, we shouldn't forget that he was a megastar uh, in, oh, yeah. in the Mummy franchise. You know, George of the Jungle maybe wasn't critically acclaimed, but certainly brought a lot of people, uh, you know, a, a, a few good laughs here and there. Where did he go? It's such a great question, because I think... So many of us wondered, where did he go? Um, you know, you talked about those films, Blast from the Past. I mean, I still watch that in Sino Man, George of the Jungle. I am not kidding you, was on in my house daily. <laughs> so we find out in 2018, he, he really opens up to GQ. And he talked about how he did his own stunts in The Mummy and George of the Jungle and how that caused so many issues with his body. So he was in and out of hospitals, at essentially the height of his career, which obviously can cause so much stress on you as a person emotionally, physically. And then... Then he details an incident that happened in 2003 with an alleged sexual assault that happened with the ex-president of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. Of course, this is the group that puts on the Golden Globes. He asked for an apology after this incident happened. He didn't receive it at the time. And he personally has questioned if he was blacklisted because of that. But aside from feeling like he was blacklisted, it really affected him. Uh, emotionally, he retreated from Hollywood directly because of that incident. Um, and then he had done some other films that obviously, you know, weren't as huge box office uh, as successes like The Mummy. You know, it's tough when you're at the top and then you do these films and uh, they weren't received as well. So I just think all of that combined, uh, you know, he disappeared. He took some time off. Then he came back to do The Affair. I think he was on season three. We hadn't seen him in so long. and Everyone went, oh, there's Brendan Fraser. And then he does an interview, uh, which he hadn't done in years uh, for the press, and he was emotional in it. He had just lost his mother. And so then that went viral. So I think everyone was like, is he okay? So now that he's back in such a big way, we're all like, yay. <laughs> Morgan Hoffman is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Morgan is a reporter with ET Canada. Uh, I guess, yeah, we can call it officially a comeback for Brendan Fraser. But not only that, he's receiving some major Oscar buzz for this performance. He is, and and that is, like, always so exciting. Like, I think of, you know, people who we've seen and loved, but then they, they get that right project that really showcases their talent. And it really seems like this is, this is the movie for Brendan Fraser. He'll be at TIFF, which is obviously just right around the corner. I think it starts on Thursday, and he's receiving a special award. It's the TIFF Tribute Award for his performance specifically in this movie. I'm having a sit-down interview with him. I can't wait to talk to him. I spoke to him back in 2019 when he was at Fan Expo, and he was uh, promoting his series Doom Patrol. And I got to tell you, that room was packed. He was so energetic. He's very shy, 
But then the minute he gets on stage and he's, you know, saying his favorite quotes or, or our favorite quotes from his movies, he gets right into character and then he's shy again, you hmm. know, and it's just so great. You just can't help but love him. So I'm really excited for him. Really quick before we let you go, when are we going to be able to see that uh, sit down with him? Yeah, so our schedules for TIFF are still getting organized, but I know the red carpet's happening this weekend. Hopefully early next week on ET Canada, you'll see that sit down. That's going to be awesome. Morgan, thanks for the time, and uh, best of luck covering TIFF. Oh, well, thank you so much. Morgan Hoffman, a reporter with ET Canada, and yeah, quite the buzz around Brendan Fraser. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.